You can turn in your copy of the scriptures to Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, I believe there are some over on the table. If you want to take one with you, you are more than welcome to do that. Let me read for us from God's Word. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives And he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, but craft, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather... Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is God's word. Would you pray with me again and then we'll dive in. Oh Lord, we pray that by your Spirit you would bring the truth and the wonder and the goodness of these words to bear on our souls. That you would show us again the glory of our Savior Jesus Christ and the glory of his work in both reconciling us to you and reconciling us to one another that we might live in gospel community. Lord, would you strengthen our faith? Would you nourish our hearts? Would you call us and comfort us again in the knowledge of your love to us in Christ? A love that is never failing, 
and always steadfast and abounding. And above all, we pray that you would glorify your son, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Uh, we are continuing in a short series that we like to do at the beginning of each new year that is aimed at answering the question, who are we and, and why do we do what we do? And we've called it Essentials. Uh, last, week we, last week, we took uh, a look at the necessity of building on the foundation of Christ, that if the church is the household of God, we are to build on the foundation of Christ, uh, and that the, uh, the idea that the gospel is the animating center of all that we are and all that we do. Uh, this week, we turn to God's design for the gospel to be actually worked out in the way in which we live together in gospel community. And it's, it's an incredibly important topic for us because of how sort of schizophrenic our culture is when it comes to community. Right On the one hand, there is this dogged commitment to radical independence that says, I don't need anyone and I will determine what is best for myself. But at the very same time, there is this desperate longing for, for affirmation and approval and support such that our happiness rises and falls depending on the amount of likes we get on social media posts. And, and so it's important for us this morning to hear not what the world says about community, not what our culture, what our society says about community, but what God says about community. And, and, and what our passage this morning tells us is that community is absolutely essential for every person. But not just any community will do. What everyone needs is gospel community. That, that is, we need a web of interdependent relationships unified around the gospel and committed to living lives of faith in Christ together for our mutual growth in following Jesus. That's what we need. We need a web of interdependent relationships unified around the gospel and committed to living lives of faith in Christ as we mutually grow in following Jesus. And here's the thing, brothers and sisters. You won't make it without it. You won't make it without it. You, you need gospel community. If Christ is the, the cornerstone and foundation of the church, then gospel community is, is the mortar that holds the building together. And so if we are wise, we will organize and prioritize our lives around gospel community. So this morning, uh, let's examine the importance of gospel community under three headings. So here they are. I'm giving you uh, the, the, the trajectory up front, the importance of gospel community, why you need it, why you should want it, and how to get it. Why you need it, why you should want it, and how to get it. So, first, why do you need it? What we see here in, in Paul's letter to the Ephesians is his vision for the body of Christ, for the church, and his answer to the question of what the point of the church is. What, what's the purpose of the church? And we could answer that question a lot of different ways, right? 
Uh, we could say that the purpose of the church is to glorify God in all that, that it does. We could say the purpose, purpose of the church is to proclaim the gospel to the lost. We could say that the purpose of the church is to make disciples of Jesus. And all of those things are, are, are true. But listen to what Paul says it explicitly is the purpose of the body of Christ. Look at verse 11 in our text. Ephesians 4.11 says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that, there's a purpose statement, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. The, the building up of the body, unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, mature manhood, growing up in every way into Christ. In other words... The purpose of the church, the point of the church, is that, and the point we could say of, of gospel community, is that through it, we would become spiritually mature. And so here's the point. Here, here's why you need gospel community. Because you will not grow spiritually as God intends without gospel community. That's, the, that's, that's Paul's explicit purpose and point of the church, that we would grow up into spiritual maturity, into the fullness of Christ. And what he's saying is you, that will not happen, as God intended, outside of the body of Christ, outside of gospel community. If I can borrow Paul's farming metaphor, we, we talked briefly about that metaphor last week in 1 Corinthians. If the gospel itself is the seed, right, the word of God, planted in our hearts, then gospel, gospel community is the, the nutritious, the nutrient-rich soil that cultivates and causes that seed to grow so that it bursts through the earth and bears fruit. It's in the environment of, of gospel community that, that we grow and spiritually mature in our faith, And if that seed is deprived of the nutrient-rich soil of gospel community, it, it will dry and shrivel and die. And, and so it is with us. Uh, apart from gospel community, apart from a vital, meaningful connection to the local church, what you will be is a, a spiritual child. And, and not in a good sense, right? Sometimes the Bible talks about children and there's a there's a decidedly sort of positive bent to it you think about uh, the way in which Paul talks about how we have this new identity as children of God who have been adopted and, and are counted as God's own children or you think about when Jesus uh, talks about the way in which uh, the way to inherit the kingdom the way to receive the kingdom is with this childlike faith but here to be described as a child is decidedly negative it's it's pejorative here right spiritual children are tossed to and fro by the waves and they're carried along by every wind of doctrine, right? They are unsteady, unstable, easily led astray by human deceit. 
when I was uh, a kid, we spent a lot of weekends uh, fishing on the Delaware Bay. My family, my, my dad had this little 17-foot uh, center console boat that we would take out into the bay, and we would go fishing for the day. And I remember this one time in particular where uh, we got up really early, and we got to the marina, like before the sun had even come up, and uh, we, we put out into the bay, and the water was really clear and calm, and we're fishing, and then mid-morning, this unexpected storm blows across the bay, and the, the calm waters that were once smooth and glass-like crystal became these five to six-foot swells, which are really huge when you're out on the bay and in a little 17-foot boat. <laughs> like, you rock and roll out in the bay at, with five to six-foot swells. And so we're, we're trying to come in, and it's pouring rain, and we're bobbing up and down, and it's taking us forever to get back in because of how powerful the, these swells are and how powerful the wind is. And the only reason, it took us like three times as long to get back. And the only reason we got back is because we had this little 90 horsepower motor just motoring us through these waves. But if you could imagine for a minute, if that motor were to conk out, right? If that engine, or if we didn't have one, then we would just be totally at the mercy of the wind and waves. We would just be blown about wherever the wind would take us, wherever the waves would take us. And you can imagine this little boat just getting tossed back and forth in these swells. And Paul says that's what it's like when you separate yourself from gospel community. Subjected to just winds and waves tossing you about in every direction. Unstable. Unsteady. And, and listen, you, you, you know this from your own experience, don't you? Right? You, you show me a professing Christian who insists that they, they don't need to be connected to a local church, to a healthy gospel community, that they can live out their faith as a Christian and grow as a Christian on their own. And I'll show you someone who is spiritually stagnating and on the verge of making an entire shipwreck of their faith. That, that's what's at stake. We, we, we can multiply stories, I'm sure, especially on the back end of COVID as people have sort of, you know, for varying reasons, made their way out of churches. The number of people that have left churches and as a result have walked away entirely from the faith or give no real evidence or fruit of a vital faith in Christ I mean, how many stories, I'm sure you have them in your own mind, of people that at one point in their life maybe are connected to the local body and then walk away from the church, and now there's no meaningful faith in Christ left to speak of. And, and why should we be surprised, right? To cut yourself off from gospel community is to remove yourself from the environment God has designed for you to, to persevere and grow in. Like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not giving you, like, good advice. This is God's design. This is how he made it, that we would be dependent on one another as we together look to Christ, that we might grow up in him together. It, it would be like pulling a plant out of the sunshine, watching it wither, and then being like, why is this happening? I don't know why this is. Well, you've pulled it out of the sunlight. You've pulled it out of the environment where it can grow. God, God made it this way, right? He designed and ordained in, in saving a people for himself. Like a lot of times we think about our faith in these individualistic terms and there is this 
tremendously sweet sense in which God comes to us in Christ in the gospel and we are assured that he died for my sins, right? That on the cross, he was thinking of me. And yet we can't forget that that God sent his son into the world to, to give his life for a people, not just for disconnected individuals, but to reconcile to himself a a, a reconciled people together. And so it's God's design. And by the way, right, that design has its very origin in the nature of God. Do you know that God is a God, a communing God? It's one of the most beautiful things that we see about the nature of God in the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit for all eternity existing in, in perfect community. And isn't this the wonder of the gospel that because of Christ and because of his work, you have actually been welcomed and invited into that loving community. And that loving community then gets worked out in our lives as we join with other Christians in local churches. That's what Jesus prays before his death, right? John 17, 22, this is what he prays. He's praying for all that would believe in him. He says, the glory that you have given me, he's praying to his father, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. That's the, the wonder of the gospel, that you have been invited into the, the very inner sanctum, the, the, the community of the Trinity itself. And all who are invited into that Trinity by faith in Christ are then bound up and united to one another. And so by virtue of our union with Christ, we are one with God and necessarily one with everyone else who is also united to Christ. And, and so it's in the context of, of God's family. That's what the body of Christ is. It's the family of God. It's in the context of God's family that we are nourished and, and empowered and equipped to grow up in our faith. Now look how Paul describes those who embrace God's design for this kind of interdependent web of relationships as we look to Jesus together and help one another follow him better. That they are mature. They are equipped for the work of the ministry. Right? Sometimes we think about church and we think about those who hold leadership positions, and some of those leader posi- leadership positions are named here. Right? He gave the, the apostles and the prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists. But the, the, the logic of this passage is it's within the context of the family of God that we actually grow up so that those leaders equip all the saints for the work of ministry. It's in the context of the family of God where we are enabled to use the gifts that Jesus has given to us. You see that picture there in Ephesians 4 of Christ in his resurrection and ascension, having conquered death, providing to his church gifts that they might build one another up. So they are mature, they're equipped for the work of the ministry, they're using the gifts God has given them in Christ. They are striving together until the the whole body reaches the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. He describes them as 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 a interconnected 
uh, body working organic, organically and interdependently with one another so that each part grows up in every way into Christ. There is growing knowledge of God. There is spiritual maturity. There is ministerial productivity. There is an unshakable stability. Not tossed back and forth, but, but stable and steadfast as we together move steadily towards glory. So if we will be those kinds of people, we will need gospel community, the the appointed means of God by which we will grow into spiritually mature people. Right? You, you, You need it. You need gospel community. You won't make it without gospel community. But you should also want it. You need it, but you should also want it. Now, now here's why, this is my second point, right? This is why you need it. Now, here we're, we're talking about why you should want it. And the reason I'm saying the reason you should want it is because, if we're honest, a lot of times gospel community may sound something like, like we intellectually know we need it, but, we, but sometimes we don't actually want it. Right? There are a lot of things like that in our life, lives, things that we need but don't necessarily want. Like, I need to exercise more. <laughs> I don't want to. Like, I need to eat healthier, but I don't want to. I need to go to the dentist more regularly, but I don't because I don't like the dentist. Maybe you're one of those, like, psychotic people that likes to go to the dentist and have your teeth cleaned. I am not. So I need to do that, but I don't want to. All those things are uncomfortable and, and unpleasant, and, and so I avoid them. And often... That's how we view gospel community in the church. And, and in our flesh, it's easy to see why. Right? Because real, intentional, spiritual relationships are messy. And they're hard. And they're difficult. And unpredictable. And time-consuming. And resource-draining. And so on. But, but here's the thing. True gospel community isn't a bitter medicine that you have to force down. The, the picture that we get of gospel community is it's not this bitter medicine that you have to, to force down. You ever have that when you're growing up and your mom, you know, or your dad gives you some kind of medicine that's like, this is going to be good for you, but it's not going to taste good. And you just have to like get it down. That is not the picture that we get of gospel community in the scriptures. The picture that we get is that true gospel community is actually a sweet and refreshing tonic that enlivens and refreshes our souls. That's what we sang earlier, right? Oh, how good it is when the family of God dwells together in spirit, in faith and unity, where the bonds of peace, of acceptance and love are the fruit of his presence here among us. That's a a song that's inspired by Psalm 133. It's a very short psalm. I'm going to read the whole psalm for you here. You ready? Psalm 133 says, Behold, how good and pleasant. Right? Not unpleasant, not uncomfortable. How good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the the precious oil on the head running down on the beard. On the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing. Life forevermore. Now, I understand the, you know, the oil dripping on the beard and the dew on her. That's, it's language of blessing. 
It's the language of blessing. He's saying gospel community, brothers and sisters dwelling in unity, it's blessing. And it's not just any blessing. Do you see what the blessing is? The blessing is life forevermore. That's the blessing that's at stake in gospel community. Do you see how serious and, and important this kind of community is? Now, now, Paul, in laying out this vision of life in the body of, describe, uh, body of Christ, describes for us a community like no other. And here's the point. This is why I'm telling you, you should want gospel community. Because it's a community formed by the gospel and shaped by the very character of Jesus. That's why you should want it. It's a community formed by the gospel and shaped by the very character of Jesus. Listen to how Paul describes a gospel community. Right There is this, uh, it's not actually an imperative in the, in the Greek text, but it's, it's an indicative that functions as an impar- imperative. When he says, I urge you to walk in a manner, the, that manner is then described by all of these, uh, uh, these qualifiers with humility and gentleness and patience. So look at how he describes a gospel community. He says a gospel community is one of humility and gentleness. Man, have you been a part of a community that is marked by its, in its core, that is marked in its core by humility? I'm willing to bet that all of you have been in social settings, whether it's with coworkers or with family members or friends or neighbors or whatever, where the character of that group of people is marked by pride and, and selfishness and, and, and a one-upsmanship, a sense of, of self-importance and superiority. There's a, 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 I'm thinking particularly in, you know, in a job setting, but this unceasing pursuit to establish a pecking order and to determine who are the most important people. And that always creates this kind of toxic, competitive environment. But Paul says that the, the, the church, real gospel community, is a community characterized by humility. You know, it's interesting, the, the, the Greeks largely saw humility as a negative base characteristic. Which is interesting because they, the, the greatest sin of all, you know, in, in all Greek literature is hubris, right? Is when you, you, it's an, an inflated sense of self-importance. And yet at the very same time, they, they saw humility as a, as a bad, they didn't see it as a virtue. They saw it as, uh, as something base, Right, to purposely lower yourself was ignoble. It was dishonorable and unaristocratic. And in the second century, Christians were actually, they were criticized. They were chastised for elevating humility as a virtue. Do you know where their understanding of humility as a virtue comes from? It, it comes from the Jewish scripture. It comes from the Judaism. It comes from the, from, from the Old Testament, from Jewish literature. In, in, in the Old Testament, we see uh, that humility signifies that you rightly understand your relationship to God. That, that you understand he is your creator. That, that you are the work of his hands and therefore you are not God. And second, what flows from that awareness is an inability. Mark that word. An inability to look on others as less than yourself. 
right? You, you embrace the reality that, that we are all paradoxically at the same time dust and image bearers of God, right? Dust that has been fashioned in the very image of God. And because you know both of those things, you are protected both from thinking too much of yourself and from thinking too less of others, too little of others. And so what that humility, this purposely uh, thinking of yourself as as lowly and, and, and humbling yourself, or you think of, uh, you know, in James, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. What that humility produces in you is a gentleness and a, a kindness and a meekness, a lowliness that, that moves towards your fellow image bearers in tender love and concern for their well-being. And so in gospel community, when things go well for your brother or sister, there isn't there isn't like envy and, and jealousy or competition. There's genuine rejoicing and celebration. And when things are going poorly, there isn't gloating or self-righteousness, but there's, there's kindness and tenderness and a willingness to share in sadness and a commitment to serve in love. And you, listen, you need a community like that if you're going to make it, but, don't, but here's the point. Don't you want a community like that? Don't you want to be a part of a community that's marked by humility and gentleness? He says, Paul says it's a community characterized by patience. Now, again, I can just give you the contrast of what life is like outside of gospel community, outside of the church, right? We live in a society where more than ever, relationships are a function of utility. You know what I mean by that? In other words, I mean, So many keep other people around them as long as they can do for them something, as long as they can provide something for them. And to some degree, that's unavoidable, but Paul's vision for gospel community in the body of Christ is relationships that are patient with one another. They're patient with one another because they aren't ultimately founded on whether or not you can do something for me. They're founded on love. They're founded on humble, self-giving love. In the Bible, patience refers to the ability to withstand punishment, inconvenience, a tremendous amount of irritation or or difficult circumstances brought on by sin even or circumstance without getting angry or, or losing your cool. And listen again, brothers and sisters, you need that kind of community. You need people to be patient with you, amen? I need people to be patient with me because the gospel community is made up of real people with real lives who who sin, who struggle, who blow it. And outside of gospel community, there's not patience, there's patience, there's a quick temperedness. It's not slow to anger. It's quick to anger and quick to discard when you're not meeting my needs anymore. But what we need and, and what we long for are relations where we know that people are going to move with you through the ups and downs of life, that they're going to stick with you, that they're going to be patient with you, that they're not going to jump ship on you when you blow it, but, but they're going to 
They're going to attach themselves to you with a committed love. Through all the the ups and downs of your own spiritual sanctification, for all the, the messiness of your spiritual growth, and through all the unexpected trials and hardships of life. You see, you you won't make it without a community that's there for you in that way. And again, don't you long to be a part of a community where you have humility and gentleness and patience. A gospel community is one where we bear with one another in love. I I, I love that language. Don't don't you see how, how beautiful it is? Paul's describing a community of people that endure with one another out of, of love. This is, this is so countercultural. Right? Bearing with someone essentially has the idea of persevering with someone despite something really annoying or irritating. But, but you know, the world only does this kind of pseudo bearing with as, as long as there's something at the end of, of the you know, toleration. That's what it sort of works out to in the world is this kind of grudging toleration. I'll I'll tolerate some idiosyncrasies and maybe even some ways in which you're going to, you know, annoy me or hurt me if at the end, you know, you're going to give me something. There's some benefit to being in a relationship with you. But in gospel community, we aren't forbearing with people. We aren't long suffering with people because they get us something, but because we, we love them. And in many ways, I think the banner that we could fly over Paul's whole vision of gospel community is this banner of love, right? You see it there appearing multiple times in the text, right? We, we bear with one another in love. We speak the truth to one another in love. At the end of the text, Paul says, when every part of the body is working properly together, the body grows so that it builds itself up in love. And, and, and be, because of that love, there's both a willingness to, to bear with one another. That is, you could think of like, a, like an overlooking offense, right? To be long-suffering and forbearing one, with one another. But that love is actually the thing that also enables us to speak truth and confront when necessary. Right? You see, in gospel community, we are to be people that aren't just refusing to, to jump on each other over you know, these little annoyances and, and irritations. But we are willing, out of love, to say something hard for the benefit of our brothers and sisters. And, and, and what you need... I know that's, that's probably the part where it's like, ooh, I don't know if I want that, right? I don't but listen, you won't grow, you, you realize you won't grow without it. You won't grow without both of those components, without a community that in love that can both speak truth to you, but do it in such a way that it's so winsome and so grace-filled and so tender and so kind that you walk away from that conversation feeling absolutely loved and cared for. Have you ever met a person like that? You ever met a person who, like, they could just come at you and be like, you are screwing up, like, so hardcore, and, and they just, but they say those words to you with such kindness and tenderness, and it comes through in this humble way, and you walk away from this conversation where they have just criticized you and, and read you the right act, and yet you feel just absolutely loved and cared for? That's life in, in, 
gospel community, and, and you need it. And by God's grace, we, we ought to want that. Paul says it's a community where we are eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And, and I don't need to say much on this because you have so many ready examples of the opposite, right? You just, just take a, a, a brief inventory of what life is like outside of gospel community, and it's division, and it's infighting, and it's arguing, and it's pettiness, right? There's not an eagerness to preserve unity. There's an eagerness to sow division. There's an eagerness to, to go to war with a, one another over the tiniest little things, right? If you want to, just an example of that, just flick on any social media, you know, go home and scroll through Twitter or scroll through, you know, Facebook or whatever, and you'll, you'll find all of that. But in gospel community, there, there isn't an eagerness to divide, but an eagerness to maintain unity in the bond of peace, right? To pursue peace that only comes from the, the Holy Spirit. And that's not to say that there isn't conflict, Right, but that conflict isn't fodder for gossip and division. It's an opportunity for gospel reconciliation and loving restoration. Right? If, if, if you've ever experienced real gospel reconciliation with a brother or sister, there's nothing like it. To have gone through the fires and the trials of disagreement and conflict, but then to offer forgiveness to one another, to, to listen to one another, to understand one another, and then to come out on the other end by God's grace through the gospel, by the power of the Spirit, closer, trusting one another more, con- committed to one another more, because of Christ, because of the gospel, because of the way in which in gospel community that's rooted and shaped and founded of the gospel, that you can move through conflict like that. So you need gospel community, but when you hear Paul's description of it, doesn't your heart long for that kind of community? You need it, but you should also want it. But here's the question. How do we get it? How do you get it? Well, the the answer is in the very first verse of our passage. Look there at verse 1. Paul says, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you, and by the way, uh, that you there, it doesn't come through in the English, but in, in the Greek, it's a plural. So, uh, you know, we don't, we don't really have this uh, in New Jersey, but if you were to go to Texas, you know, or in the South, they say like y'all. That's the idea, right? He's saying, I urge you all, I urge y'all, all of you, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So, so he, here's the answer to the question, how do you get it? A lot of times we see this vision for gospel community in the church and we think to ourselves, man, that would be great. That sounds wonderful. And then we just sort of expect it to fall into our lap, right? We're like, I'm going to go find a place where, where it's like that. But Paul's answer to the question of how you get it is him urging you all to walk in this manner. If you want the community, be the community. That's his answer to the question. How do you get it? You, you, you embody it. You all take up. With, and you see this word urge there. There's urgency. He says, I urge you to walk in a manner. That, and that word, by the way, in the New Testament, walk, it's synonymous with live your life. 
right? Live your, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. If you want this kind of community, you need it. You should want it. If you want it, embody it. Be, the, be that kind of community. Now, I could end the sermon there, and that would be a relatively hopeless sermon, wouldn't it? Right? Paul's urging us to, to, to be that. When, because here's the thing, right? When you, when you hear the description of that community, you're like, that sounds great, and I think that's impossible. Right? That sounds like impossible. Like, because I know who I, like, I know me. Right? And I don't want to bear with people. Like, in my flesh, that's hard. I don't want to be sinned against. I don't, I don't want to have to offer forgiveness and, 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 and be patient with people and bear with them. That's hard. Again, it's exhausting. It takes, it takes like emotional and mental resources. It's, it's difficult. It's, and so part of this question of how to get it is the power for how we actually walk in that manner. And, and the key to that is in that word, therefore. You see, you see how Paul starts that? I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner. That therefore, so Paul does this throughout a number of his epistles. This is, this is a turning point in, in the book of Ephesians. And he has spent the first three chapters of Ephesians laying out indicatives, laying out the truths of the gospel. And you, you see this in the book of Romans. You see it in the book of Philippians. He, he will spend the first half of his letter reminding brothers and sisters of the truth of all that he has done in Christ. And then he'll pivot and say, therefore, in light of those truths, live this way. And so what I'm telling you is, yeah, in and of yourselves, that, that, that vision for gospel community is impossible. But, but Paul says there is, there is a, a tremendous, unending resource and supply of power that you might walk in this manner. And what is that supply? It's all the truths that he lays out in Ephesians 1 through 3. And let me just remind you of some of those things. Right In, in, in uh, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, we, we read that we have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. That we have been chosen before the foundation of the world. That we've been predestined. That we've been adopted. That we've been redeemed. That we've been given the, the full forgiveness of sins. That we've been given an inheritance sealed with the Holy Spirit, that we've been made alive together with Christ, that we've been saved by his grace through faith, that we've been raised up with him and seated in the heavenly places, that we've been brought near to God by the blood of Christ, that we've been reconciled both to God and to each other, that we've been made fellow citizens with the saints and and members of the household of God, that we've been given boldness and access to God with confidence. And then as he draws to a close at the end of Ephesians 3, at this turning point in his letter, he just breaks out into worship, into doxology. He prays for the Ephesians and then he breaks into worship. He says, he prays that according to the riches of God's glory that he might grant the Ephesians and that he might grant all Christians to be strengthened with power through his spirit in their inner being so that Christ might dwell in their hearts through faith that that they being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth 
and the length and the height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that they might be filled with all the fullness of God. And then worship, he breaks into worship. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout generation, throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. I therefore a prisoner for, for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Don't you see the power to walk in this way, the power to live lives in gospel community, to live lives of, of humility and gentleness and patience and forbearance and unity and peace. It comes when we fix our eyes on Christ. Christ, who, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Don't, don't you see our, the power to, to walk in a manner Worthy of the calling to, to, to live and, and, and relate to one another in humility comes when we look at the, the very humility of Christ who though he was God laid aside his glory and came into the world and put on weakness and put on flesh and became obedient even to the point of death on a cross. When we see Christ in humility taking our place for us, making, making himself lower. I just read this morning in my devotions, Mark 10, 45, that even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. When we see Jesus Christ, our Savior, making himself low for us, that we might be brought in, we are strengthened and empowered to move out towards one another in humility. And gentleness, right? Where I know many of us in life groups are reading through Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly, that Jesus would call to us, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. How can we move towards one another in gentleness and meekness? It's when we look upon Christ who moved towards us sinners in gentleness and kindness. Who, who is tender, who is a, a faithful and tender good shepherd. And how can we be patient with one another? Brothers and sisters, how often have you grieved the Lord with your life, with, with sin, with stubbornness? And yet, is he not patient with you? Look, you, you, you will screw up today. You will, you will blow it today. We, I will blow it today. Absolutely, completely. I will sin against God today, and tomorrow he will be there. Ready to pour out blessing. Eager to, to show favor and grace and kindness because of his long-suffering patience. And as you experience the patience of God in Christ Jesus, you're equipped and empowered to move out towards one another in, patient, in patience. And, 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 and to think, right? 
that in gospel, gospel community, we're, we're called to speak the truth to one another in love. Who has done this more completely than Christ? Do you know what Christ says to us at the cross? Right, the cross both, both speaks to us a word of piercing truth and comforting love, doesn't it? Right at the cross, there, there's Jesus hanging on the cross under the judgment for your sin. And that word of truth that comes to you is that you are a, an absolutely wretched, evil, wicked sinner. That, that, that in and of yourself, there, there is no hope. You're a rebel against God, worthy only of judgment. A piercing word of truth. And yet at the same time, the exact same time, isn't there a word of comfort? And love and mercy as Christ comes to you and says, all that would come to me in faith, trusting in my sacrifice, will know forgiveness of sins and the promise of life everlasting. See, gospel community flows out of gospel foundation. A gospel culture flows from gospel doctrine. Gospel unity flows from gospel identity. And that oneness flows not from our common interests, not from common hobbies, not from life stages or common struggles, but it comes from a common confession. You see that what binds this whole passage together, at the center of this whole passage, is our common confession of faith, right? There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Brothers and sisters, to the degree that you lean into and abide in the love of Christ, in his, in his humble, gentle, forbearing, patient, peaceable love, to the degree that you abide in his love, you will be equipped and enabled to move out towards one another in the same way with humility and gentleness and kindness and so cultivate a gospel community that would shine in the world and show forth the glory of God's grace in Christ Jesus. May the Lord equip us to do just that by his grace. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for these brothers and sisters and for the great hope that we have in Christ and the great resources that we have in Christ that we might live in gospel community, that we might live with one another in love and in peace and in unity, not because we are sinless, not because there, are, there isn't conflict or, or, or frustration or irritation, but because we are bound up together by this reality that we have all received your grace in Christ Jesus, that we have all seen and acknowledged the depth of our own sin, but at the very same time have seen and rejoiced in the depth of your mercy towards us in Christ. Help us, we pray, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. And help us in so doing to shine as lights in the world that those who do not know you would see the, the, the glory of your grace in the face of Christ Jesus and what it produces in the lives of sinners. Lord, do this work for the sake of your name, we pray in Jesus' name.